Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. There is nothing wrong with praying for your material needs. Nothing wrong with praying for those that you know that are sick and you're lifting them up. Nothing wrong with praying that you would be able to have this need met in your life or that this situation. There's nothing wrong with those things at all. But there better be some focus. There needs to be some focus in our prayer toward the proclamation of the gospel. Spreading the message of Jesus. It is the calling of the church. Just before Jesus went back to heaven, he gave us what has come to be known as the Great Commission. For 2,000 years, the church has been working to fulfill that commission with all kinds of programs and presentations. But is it possible that the church has, at times, failed to plug into the power to fulfill that Great Commission? Do you know why the church, the modern church in America, has such a hard time devoting itself to prayer? I don't have to say this. You already know the answer, don't you? It is the busyness of our lives, isn't it? Isn't it? It's the busyness of our lives that is keeping us from being busy in prayer. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. If you've been with us before on Crosswalk, you may know that we've been working our way through the book of Colossians this summer and fall in a series that reminds us that it's all about Him. Jesus Christ is the focal point of Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. And as Pastor Clay has shown us, the first half of the letter is very theological, while the second half is very practical. Today, we start into the last chapter of Colossians and a section that Pastor Clay has entitled, Christ Proclaimed. This week and next, Pastor Clay is going to give us three essentials that are needed if the message of Jesus is going to go out and change the world. Today, we're going to look at the first essential of Christ Proclaimed, prayer. Doesn't sound very casual, does it? Doesn't sound very flippant, does it? Doesn't sound very, well, if I, maybe I can squeeze in a little bit here or there. Devote yourself to, adhere to, persist in, busy yourself with prayer. Without prayer, our programs and presentations are simply man-made tools. What we need are power tools, and prayer gives the church the power it needs to proclaim Christ to the world. Now, here's Pastor Clay with this week's Crosswalk. Today, uh, we come to... Colossians chapter 4. Now, if, you, if you're a guest here and you've not been with us before, uh, you don't, it's an inside joke, but uh, Pastor Clay tends to take his time working through certain books of the Bible, and uh, Colossians happens to have been uh, one of those. Uh, we have uh, been working our way through this series in the book of Colossians entitled, It's All About Him. It's all about Jesus Christ. That's what we've been learning since, believe it or not, since June 26th is when we started this relatively short book, four chapters. June 26th, we started this, and good Lord willing, this week and next week, we will conclude our study in the book of Colossians. But we have been taking our time walking through this text and learning um, these truths that Paul reveals to us. Paul is the writer of this letter that was sent to the church in Colossae. These truths about Jesus Christ. Now, uh, let me say this. In, in a very real sense, you can say all of the Bible, the entire Bible, all of it, uh, is the story of God's redemption plan from Genesis to Revelation. Um, W.A. Criswell, very famous pastor of yesteryear, pastor at First Baptist Dallas, Texas for 50 years. W.A. Criswell used to call it the scarlet thread from Genesis to Revelation. It's the story of God's redemptive plan. So it's throughout the pages of God's Word. And yet uh, the, the book of Colossians seems to have this very particular emphasis on the person of Jesus Christ. And if you happen to have been with us through this study, you know that we have broken the book into five sections that we've taken our time and looked at. The first section that we started that first week was Christ presented. 
And we looked at that opening part of Colossians chapter 1 where the Apostle Paul just gives this magnificent introduction of Jesus Christ. Now, he's writing to the church. They know who he is. They know who Christ is. They know what he's done. But Paul introduces him in just this this magnificent way. From, From Christ presented, we then moved into Christ preeminent. In the second half of chapter 1 and the first parts of chapter 2, Paul begins to to paint this theological picture, and it's okay if we, if we talk theological terms and, and, uh, and, and help introduce some ideas, but Paul paints this theological picture of Jesus Christ and why Jesus Christ uh, is substantiated as God in the flesh. And ladies and gentlemen, that's a game changer. Presenting the evidence that God... It was, was present that God came to earth in the form of a man, that God took on flesh and went to a cross and died for us, which is the case Paul builds there when, he, when Christ preeminent. He's exalted. He's above everyone else because he is God. That's a game changer because, ladies and gentlemen, for 2,000 years, people who discount the, the validity of Scripture, discount who Christ is, have been trying to prove that Jesus was a good man, that he was a good guy, that maybe he was a wise teacher, but that he was not God. Because if he's God, if Jesus is God, he's a historical figure, listen, only, only the biggest of lunatics would deny that a Jesus of Nazareth existed historically in Palestine uh, in, in the first century. It's an historical fact that, that as I said, only a, a lunatic would dispute. If he really is God, well, that changes stuff. So, he's Christ preeminent. From there, we moved into Christ protected. And we talked about, in the latter part of chapter 2, Paul builds this case for why you need to make sure that you protect what you believe about Christ. Because all of the remember the... Those of you who have been with us, you remember the false prophets? They were coming in. They were coming there. There's these false teachers. They're introducing these new ideas. They're kind of adjusting or modifying what the church had learned from their pastor, Epaphras, who was teaching the truth about Christ. And here come these teachers and say, well, you know, Epaphras has kind of got it right. But they begin to introduce some new teaching. And Paul says, no, you've got you to hold on to the truth that we know from the word of God. You've got you to hold on to what we know who Christ is. And the idea of protecting who he is, what we believe about him, why we believe what we believe about him. It's Christ protected and the idea of protecting our theology. And we talked about how that is just as important today as it was in Colossae because, ladies and gentlemen, whether you realize it or not, false teaching is trying to creep its way into your life and into the church. By the way, just a reminder, this is not the church, right? This is the church. We are the church, not the building. I don't care if we don't, if we can't, if they Threw us out tomorrow and said we couldn't meet in the high school and we had to meet in Kenny Tackett's house. The church would be in there. <laughs> Kenny's like, bring them on. <laughs> it, 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 would, it would still be the church. Okay? So uh, false teaching still trying to creep in today and it's in the most subtle of ways. And you can go back to the podcast and listen to those message, messages where we discuss some of that. And then... Uh, We moved into the second half of the book, chapters 3 and and 4, where we're going to today. And we moved into the idea in chapter 3 of Christ practiced. Christ practiced. The the idea that that what I've been learning about him in the first two chapters, what I know about Christ, that that actually comes into my life and applies in my life and is displayed in my life. It is Christ practiced in my life. Because, quite honestly... If what I say I believe... Am I shouting a lot this morning? Okay. If what I say I believe doesn't match up with what I do, my belief is a sham, ladies and gentlemen. There's no validity to it. If it doesn't... Listen, what we know about Christ may come in here, okay? But it has to get in here. And if it gets in here, it will come out here. It will come out in what I do with my life. It will come out in the words that I use. It will come out in the decisions that I make about my life. It will come out in in, in the way I handle my money. It will come out in the way I engage people and the way I treat my spouse and all of those things. It's Christ practiced. And so today we move into the the fifth uh, area of the book of Colossians and it is Christ proclaimed. 
Christ proclaimed in Colossians chapter 4. We're going to be reading this morning in verses 2 through 18. You say, well, why aren't we reading verse 1? Well, uh, we, we did last week. We connected that to the tail end of chapter 3 and the whole idea of, of slaves and masters and, and what that means for us today and the, uh, the, the equivalent for, for our lives and employer, employees, and what really was the heart of the issue there that Paul was getting to. So that we kind of connected chapter 4, verse 1 to that today, chapter 4, verses 2 through 18. But before I read this scripture, I want to say this to you. If you're here this morning and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ... You know God in a personal way. Now, if, if, if you're sitting there and you're thinking, I don't even, what is he talking about? That's strange. I'm not even sure what he's talking about. That's okay. You, you may not know him as your Lord and Savior, but we are so glad that you are here, that you've come with, a, with an opportunity just to sit under God's word and let God's uh, word have its effect in our hearts and our lives. But if you are here and you know that you've trusted Christ your Savior, you know you've entered into this personal relationship with God, then I would say this to you. Somewhere along the way, somebody proclaimed Christ to you. It may have been a parent. It may have been a grandparent. It may have been a spouse. It may have been a sibling. It may have been a friend. It may have been a pastor. It may have been a Sunday school teacher. It may have been a a TV preacher. Or it may have been some combination of them or, or others over some period of time working in your life that brought you to a place where you said, I need Christ in my life. And you made this decision to trust Christ. It's because somewhere, somewhere, someone somewhere along the way proclaimed Christ to you. Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2 this morning, reading to the end of the chapter. Masters, Grant to your, oh, that's verse one. I said I wasn't going to read that one, is I? But, all right, I'll read it. Why not? Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. Verse two, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open for us a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. As to all my affairs... Tychius, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information. For I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number. In other words, he was from Colossae. They will inform you about the whole situation here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greeting. And also Barnabas' cousin Mark, about whom you received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. And also Jesus, who is called Justice. It's a very uh, common name in, in those days. These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision. In other words, they were Jewish. Who are from the circumcision. And they have proved to be an encouragement to me. Epaphras, who is one of your number. A bond slave of Jesus Christ sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greeting and also Demas. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and also Nympha, and the church that is in her house. And when this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. Paul closes out his letter to the church in Colossae with some very important words for us to look at this week and next week. 
in this idea of Christ proclaimed. And on this idea of Christ proclaimed, what I want to talk to you about uh, over this Sunday and next Sunday are what I'm referring to as three essentials. Three essentials for the proclaiming of Christ. It will be three, but it's the essentials of proclaiming Christ. Today, the first essential that I want to look at is the essential of prayer. Prayer. That should be a blank on your outline if you want to fill it in. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer. Keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Praying at the same time for us as well. That God will open up to us a door for the word. So that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. For which I have also been imprisoned. That I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Ladies and gentlemen, there has to be an increased priority in the essential of prayer. When it comes to the proclamation, the spreading, the sharing, the giving of the good news of Jesus Christ. Without prayer, nothing nothing of eternal value, I really believe nothing of eternal value will ever happen. Man-made... Ideas, even good moral ideas, can change people for some period of time. Even societies can make some adjustments and some changes. But can I just remind you of this? Only ultimately can God change a person's heart. Are you all okay? seems really somber in here today. I don't know. It just seems quiet in here. Jane says, yeah, because the air conditioner is not running. (laughs) Only God can change a heart. Only God can truly change the way people think about things and how they approach their lives and what it is they desire to do. And prayer, ladies and gentlemen, from from our standpoint, prayer basically acknowledges that if God is not in this, if God is not at work in what's going on in the church, then it has really has no significant eternal value to it. We have to pray. That's an essential of proclaiming Christ. And Uh, I want to break it into two different parts or or give you two ideas about what our prayer should look like. First, prayer has to be faithful. Look at what Paul says in verse 2 again when he says, devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. Now we'll talk about the prayer, what it involved in just a moment, but devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. The word devote there in the original language is a present present tense imperative uh, verb. Uh, Paul uses a lot of those in his letters and he uses a lot of them in his letter to the church in Colossae. It is a uh, it is a command, it is an active ongoing command to do this. Devote yourselves. The word uh, has this idea to adhere to to persist in now listen, as I'm reading this, are you thinking about your prayer life? Because I, I, I sure wish you would. To adhere to, to persist in, to busy oneself with, to busily engage in, to be devoted to prayer. Doesn't sound very casual, does it? Doesn't sound very flippant, does it? Doesn't sound very, well, If I, maybe I can squeeze in a little bit here or there, devote yourself to, adhere to, persist in, busy yourself with prayer. It has to be faithful. We have to be faithful at this thing. Giving ourselves to it, devoted to this idea of prayer. Do you know why the modern church in America, at least, do you know why the modern church in America can't devote itself to prayer. And I'm not, I'm not, you know, trying to throw anybody under the bus necessarily or anything. You may have a fantastic prayer life, uh, but, but we know, statistically speaking, most people struggle with this idea of devoting time to prayer. Do you know why the church, the modern church in America, has such a hard time devoting itself to prayer? I don't have to say this. You already know the answer, don't you? It is the busyness of our lives, isn't it? Isn't it? It's the business of our lives that is keeping us from being busy in prayer. Isn't that ironic? Yeah, maybe not. 
Maybe Satan is kind of on to something and knew exactly how to keep us off of our knees and out of prayer by keeping us busy enough that we didn't have time. And then he goes on, uh, Paul goes on and he says, keeping alert. It has the, uh, the idea of to stay awake, to be watchful, to be vigilant, be devoted to, be alert, keeping alert. This, again, this continual ongoing tense of the verb, to stay awake, to be watchful, to be vigilant. Vigilant. <laughs> I keep getting my merge wixed up today for some reason. The idea is, or the picture is, a soldier uh, standing at his or her post, vigilant, keeping alert, watching for the enemy, refusing to be caught off guard. Now remember, Paul's connecting this to prayer. Be devoted to keeping alert. Prayer has to be faithful, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know exactly where you are in your prayer life. I don't exactly know how that goes. But can I just tell you this? We, you and I, we just have to make up our minds we're going to do this. And listen, uh, you probably already know this is true, but the prayer police are not going to show up at your door if you don't pray. They're, they're not going to come. Yes, want to see if you're praying in there. All right, good. <laughs> prayer police aren't going to show up at your door. This is, some, we just, this is us, folks. If we're followers of Jesus, and there's this idea of proclaiming the message of Jesus, which Paul is clearly getting into, and he starts out this, this idea of proclamation, proclaiming, by saying, devote yourselves to prayer. Keep alert at it. Persist in it. Be busy about prayer. So, so our prayer has to be faithful, first off. The first essential, prayer. First part of prayer has to be faithful. Second idea that Paul gives us is that it has to be focused. Look what he says in uh, verses 3 and 4. Now watch, he's already, he said, be devoted, keeping alert, pray, all right, okay, good, all right, prayer, got that. Now watch what he says, what, what you ought to be praying for. Pray at the same time for us as well, that God will open up for us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, so that we may proclaim Christ. That's what he's saying. For which I also have been in prison. And he's continuing the idea of praying for him, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Some of you are aware uh, that, and you could, you could, it's certainly implied in what he's written there so far, that the Apostle Paul was in prison at the time that he wrote this letter to the church in Colossae. He's in prison in Rome. And he wrote this letter and he sent it back uh, to the church in Colossae, which we kind of hear in, in his final greeting there as he's, as he's wrapping it up. And so as he's, as he's, se- as he's sending this, this letter back to them, and he's asking them to pray. So he's in prison, right? Does it seem odd to you that the Apostle Paul doesn't ask them, hey, pray that I get out of here soon. Pray that these doors be flung wide open. But instead, he prays that a door will be open for the proclamation of the gospel. Now there's a guy that's got his focus on straight, folks. There's a guy that understands, hey, listen, and there would have been nothing wrong with him praying that, by the way. It would have been nothing wrong with saying, hey, pray, pray that I get out of here. Because I, I, I'm, I'm sure that Paul, I mean, raise your hand if you'd like to, to live your life in prison, right? I'm sure it wasn't club fed or anything. I'm sure it wasn't anything that, that was really enjoyable. And, and I know he had, a, he had this passion, this desire to go out and proclaim the gospel. And here he is in prison. He's thinking, I, I want to I go. I want to go to the world. So I know Paul wanted out of there. I'm sure he did. I'm sure it wasn't pleasant. I'm sure that there would have been nothing wrong with asking for them to to pray that he would be set free. But instead, he says, you know what? I'm reading between the lines. What he says is it's not really about my circumstances. It's about the proclamation of the gospel. It's about taking the message of Jesus Christ to the far reaches of the earth. Would you pray that that would happen? Would you pray that a door would be open so that the message of Jesus would go forth? It is Focused prayer. Now listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. There is nothing wrong with praying for for your material needs. 
Nothing wrong with praying for those that you know that are sick and you're lifting them up. Nothing wrong with praying for uh, that, you, that, you'd, that you'd be able to have this need met in your life or that this situation. There's nothing wrong with those things at all. But there better be some focus. There needs to be some focus in our prayer toward the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as a matter of fact, you don't find very much of that other kind of praying in Paul's prayers. Again, not that it's wrong and not that he didn't have needs. He just seems to understand that what I really need to be focused on is that the message of Jesus would be made known to the uttermost parts of the earth. So it is focused, directed prayer. Most of you uh, know that, that, that I have an idea that God wants to do something uh, significant with Cross Culture Church. Uh, and, I, and I'm not trying to throw other churches under the bus, okay? Uh, I, I'm just saying, I, can I just tell you this? I, I don't, I don't want to just hear about the things God is doing. I want to see the things God is doing. But I'm telling you right now, it will not happen without focused prayer toward the spreading of the message of Jesus. I, read, I was reading this story. Um, so I'm, a, I'm a student of history. I love history anyway, and, and particularly church history. I, I really uh, enjoy I was reading this story uh, recently about uh, the famous, a very famous evangelist from America by the name of D.L. Moody. Some of you have heard his name. He lived a long time ago, way back in the 1800s, the latter part of the 1800s. Uh, but D.L. Moody was a very famous evangelist from Chicago. Tens of thousands of people in the lifetime of his ministry came into relationship with Jesus Christ. He just seemed to have a, uh, you know, the, the old-time word, is he just seemed to have the anointing upon him that when he spoke the truth of God's word, people just responded to it. Well, after the great Chicago fire, uh, Moody lived in Chicago, after the great Chicago fire and, and some of the work that he and his church had done involved in that, Moody was just exhausted. And uh, so he was urged to uh, go to uh, England, go to London, and just kind of rest for a little while and sit under some, some great preachers and teachers of that time and just kind of recharge his batteries. All of us need that sometimes, right? Anybody need their batteries recharged sometimes? All right, and, and Moody needed that. And so he went to London with, with no design or probably even desire to preach. He's just going to go and rest uh, and recharge his batteries. But over the course of time while he was there, and when you made a trip in those days, you know, it's not like you could jump on a red eye and be in London in, in six hours. I mean, it was, it was steamship and, you know, uh, it would take a long time. And so you made it a, a prolonged trip. Usually you were there for a number of weeks or sometimes even months. So while Moody is there, he is just, um, not badgered, but he, he's just really, the, the folks are just on him. They want him to preach. They want him to preach while he's there. He's the famous evangelist, D.L. Moody. And so he finally relents to preach at a church one Sunday. I don't even know the name of the church, but he preached in the church. And as Moody recounts, he said, everything about the service was just absolutely lifeless and dead. It just, it, it just, and, he, and he said, in the midst of the of the preaching, that he just wished he had never even relented, wished he'd never even agreed to preach. But he did. There was a woman uh, in London who was an invalid who had heard of the accounts of uh, Mr. Moody and, you know, had just, just thought a lot of it. And she had been praying that D.L. Moody would come to England and preach. Her sister happened to be at that church, at that service, on that particular Sunday. And she went home that day to her invalid sister. And she said, you'll never guess who preached this morning for us. And the sister went through. She started naming all the people that the pastor usually would have preach, that they'd fill in for or whatever else. And uh, finally her sister says, no, Mr. Moody preached. And, uh, and when she said that, the, the invalid sister who had been praying for Mr. Moody to come to England, her, her face just turned pale. And she said, this is an answer to my prayer. Had I known that he was going to be here today and that he would be preaching, I would, have, I would have locked myself away and I would have prayed and I would have fasted for God to move. And she said, don't, don't bring me any food. Don't let anybody come see me this afternoon. Don't bother me. I'm going to pray all the rest of this afternoon because Mr. Moody was supposed to preach that night again at the same church. And so she spent the day fasting and in prayer for Mr. Moody. And that night in the service, uh, as Moody recounts, he said there was, there was a, a definite feeling, if I can use that term, uh, that something was different. Some type of spiritual power was going on in the service that had been so void in the, in the morning service. 
He got to the end of his message and he felt compelled to give this invitation, this altar call, this invitation for people to receive Christ as their Savior. And, and Moody said, if anyone would like to receive Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, stand up. And as the account goes, somewhere between four and 500 people stood to their feet in this one service. There were so many people, and it happened so, you know, spontaneously, instantly when he said it, that Moody thought they, surely they must have misunderstood maybe his accent or something because he's from America. And so he repeated the question several different ways, but they hadn't misunderstood. And four or 500 people gave their life to Jesus Christ that night. It's the power of God moving through the power of prayer, ladies and gentlemen. We, as a church, have to begin to pray like we have never prayed before maybe you've seen some of these passages of scripture uh, before ephesians chapter 6 verse 18 and 19 and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests but watch this with this in mind be alert and always keep on praying for all the lord's people pray also for me that whenever i speak words may given me so that i will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. It's interesting, Paul tells the same thing to the Ephesian church that he tells the Colossian church. Pray for me. Pray that I'll be able to share the message. Pray that I'll have the right words to say. Pray that the proclamation of the, of the good news of Jesus will go forth. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean that 24-7, you know, you're, you're locked in your prayer closet and you could, no, I'm sorry, children, uh, you will not eat. <laughs> I must pray. But the idea is that it's consistent, ongoing devotion to prayer. And then in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also. Paul says, it's not enough that you've come to know Christ. Pray for me. Pray for everybody that's going out. Pray for yourselves that, that we can proclaim this message of Jesus. Um, there's a guy, uh, most of you probably would never have heard of his name. There was a guy that also lived in the 1800s, early part of the 1900s, by the name of John Hyde. Uh, John Hyde was the son of a Presbyterian minister, um, and he, uh, in his early years after graduating from college, uh, sensed that God wanted him to go to the mission field, and he went to India. This is the pioneer days of mission work in India. He was in a province or a part of India known as the Punjab. And uh, Hyde had a hard time grasping the language. They say primarily because he apparently was very hard of hearing. And uh, it was just difficult for him to get the language. So the work was going very slow. He was one of just maybe just very few missionaries in the entire uh, province or in the entire country of India for that matter at that time. And it's just, you know, you know. You know, when you work at this at a while and you don't always see results, you, you kind of, man, I don't know what's going on. And so John Hyde uh, just made the determination that he was going to begin to pray. And uh, they had a, a gathering, an annual meeting, if you will, in the Punjab province of India with the, the small little handful of Christians who were part of that province and the two or three or four missionaries that were there. They got together and they decided they were going to devote 30 minutes a day to praying for people to come to know Jesus as their Savior in the Punjab province. And John Hyde, in the, in the midst of this prayer session, uh, declared to everybody or anybody that was there that he was going to pray and ask God for one person to come to faith in Jesus Christ per day for the next year. 365 people committing their life to Christ, being baptized, and publicly testifying to, that Christ was their Lord and Savior. It was, by all accounts, they said that's absolutely insane. 365 people in this nation of, of Hindus and no desire, the godless and all this kind of stuff, no way. 365 people in one year, and John Hyde began to pray. And they say that his prayers were so protracted, so long, and so fervent that he eventually, well, the missionary called him John Praying Hyde. That became his name, John Praying Hyde. The, the nationals, the, the natives in that part of in India called him the man who doesn't sleep because you could go by apparently his hut 
uh, his house, whatever it was, at, at almost any time and hear Hyde in there agonizingly crying out for God to save souls. As a matter of fact, uh, at, at one of the meetings, uh, his, his prayer time was so intense and so severe that he, that, he pr- that he cried out, Give me souls, O God, or I die. Can I tell you something? I have never prayed that way. I'm just being honest with you. I have never prayed. God, if you, don't, if you don't save souls through the ministry you've called me to, I'm, I just want to die. That first year, 400 people came to receive Christ as a personal Lord and Savior, baptized and became part of the church in India. The next year when the, uh, when the meeting, when they got together, Hyde announced that he was going to double his prayer request. He was going to ask God for two souls per day coming to know Jesus Christ as a personal Savior. That year, 800 people profess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The next year at the next meeting, Hyde said he was going to double his, his prayer request again, that he was going to ask God for four people a day. I've got to find this. I want to read this to you. He saw God do these amazing things, and here's what he says. He says, on the day of prayer, God gave me a new experience. I seemed to be away uh, above our conflict here in the Punjab. And I saw God's great battle in all India. And then away uh, out beyond in China, Japan, and Africa, I saw how we had been thinking in narrow circles of our own countries and our own denominations and how God was now rapidly joining force to force, line to line, and all was beginning one great struggle. That to me means the great triumph of Christ. We must exercise the greatest care to be utterly obedient to him who sees all the battlefield all the time. It is only he who can put each man in the place where his life can count for the most. His dying words, by the way, his last words with his last breath were, shout the victory of Jesus Christ. Focused, intentional, faithful, prayer. As I said a moment ago, uh, most of you know that, that I, I, just, I just have this idea that God wants to do something significant across culture church. And, and, and again, it's not anything about any other churches. I just, I just believe that God has, has given us a vision and God has given us uh, the resources. We're not a big church. We don't have, we don't have uh, uh, that much money, but he's given us more resources than a lot of people have. And most importantly, I think of all, God has given us a group of people with truly with servant hearts that want to see people come to Christ. And I believe God would desire to use that to significantly impact thousands of people in this area and around the world through the ministries of Cross Culture Church. And as I said, I don't want to just hear, I don't want to just read about God doing something. I want to be smack dab in the middle of something like that. I want the Holy Spirit's presence to be so real and so active that we can't even hardly keep up with it. Listen, I, they're dedicating it this weekend. And let me just say, I, I, I'm, I'm not, I may not be nearly as, as uh, eloquent as Martin Luther King Jr. But can I tell you something? I have a dream too. I, I have a dream. Can I tell you something about my dream? <laughs> it's kind of weird. Uh, I have a dream that, uh, that we would have a parking problem around here. We have hundreds of parking space. I have a dream that we would have a parking problem. I have a dream... Uh, my wife and Karen Armstrong are going to love this. But I have a dream that the, the rotunda area where we set up our cafe area every, every week, we have to pay $12 an hour to rent that rotunda area. That We pay for each area that we rent. We have to pay $12 an hour, I think it is, to rent the rotunda area. I have a dream that we're going to have to, to, have to trade that one in and pay $45 an hour to rent the cafe. I mean the cafeteria where we'll set up our cafe, where hundreds of people will be, and I'm just saying in my mind, I, just, I was thinking about it again this morning, I'm just walking among the tables of people, just hundreds of people waiting for the next service to begin and just talking to people and, 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 and introducing myself and finding out what's going on in, in their life. I just, I just dream about that kind of stuff because I, I read it in Paul's passion for soul, and I think it's the heart, it gets to the very heart of who God is, desire to touch and change people's lives and their eternal destinies. I, I dream about that kind of stuff. I dream about an altar being flooded every week with people coming down, committing their lives to Jesus Christ. I dream about, about men and women answering the call to go to the farthest reaches of, of this world and carry the message of Jesus. And, and, and I want us to share that dream together. And I know it's a dream that many of you embrace and, and have been a part of this since the very beginning. But can I tell you this? Not a lick of it, not a lick of it will happen 
without prayer. Not, not really. And I know we pray some, but we got to pray more. Almost two years ago, uh, we introduced something called the Seven Challenge. Some of you uh, may remember it. Some of you are hearing it for the very first time. Maybe you've seen the sign and wonder what it is. Almost two years ago, we introduced the Seven Challenge. And the Seven Challenge at its core is about this very thing, ladies and gentlemen. It's about praying. There's, there's other elements to it, but it's about praying. Can I, can I just run through this as quickly as I can with you? Just to remind you, here's, here's, what, here's what the seven challenge in essence is. Here's, here's what uh, this, this board is over here for. And if you, if you go up and look at the board, if you haven't, if you go up and look at the board, you'll find that there's signatures on there. Because periodically in the last two years, I've asked people to take the seven challenge, to take this up, to commit, to try, to do. And you won't do it right all the time. None of us do, including me. But to commit, to try, to pray for seven minutes a day. And some of you may say, seven minutes a day? You don't have very high expectations for us. Hey, I'll start with seven. I'll start with seven. Seven minutes devoted to just the things that we're going to talk about, that focused prayer. You can pray for anything you want, but give me seven. Give God seven for the expansion of his kingdom to pray seven minutes a day, to pray for seven people that don't know Jesus per day. And listen, you say, well, I don't know seven. Yes, you do. If you'll think long enough, it might be a neighbor, it might be a cousin that lives six states over, it might be the person that, that waited on you at a table and, and you don't know whether they know Jesus or not, so you can pray for them, to pray for seven, seven people, to pray for seven missionaries or people groups per week. Now, that's one we kind of add it, but I figure you got seven minutes in there, surely we can throw that in, to pray for seven missionaries or people groups per week. Well, I don't know seven missionaries. Do you know seven continents? There are seven continents, are there? <laughs> Do you know seven countries? You don't have to know the name of a missionary in Africa or in a country in Africa. You don't have to know a missionary in Kenya to pray for Kenya and pray for the missionaries there that are proclaiming the message or wherever it might be. Can you pray for seven missionaries or people groups per week? That's one per day to pray for seven opportunities to share the love of Jesus per week. Now, I don't know how that comes out in your life. It, it, it might be, I, I encourage people all the time, iVite cards, give out iVite cards. I keep mine got this little magnet on my thing, and I just I, I pull these out all the time and get, give out these things. You know, you know, by the way, by the way, that's another part of my dream. Excuse me, I'm just off on something right now, but that's another part of my dream. I'm tired of giving out iVite cards and somebody saying to me, oh, I didn't even know there was a church that met in that school. I'm tired of that. That's part of my dream. This is part of my dream, too. I'm on a roll. This is part of my dream. I want to walk in Fitness 19 someday. That's my local gym I go to. I want to walk in Fitness 19. And I want to overhear one person telling, I want to walk in and hear a person telling another person, have you heard about that church that meets in the school? God is moving down there. God is doing something. God, I, want to, I want to see that happen. I want lives to be changed. I want eternal destinies to be changed. I want families to be saved. And it won't happen if we don't pray. I don't even know if it's anymore part of my dream. I better go on. Pray for seven kingdom-focused needs that you have per day. Now, you can pray for your needs. Hey, we all have needs, right? Hey, we all have needs. But you have some kingdom-focused needs, and I want you to pray for them. And I have them too, and I pray these every day, ladies and gentlemen. And here they are. Here's the seven kingdom-focused needs. Pray this. Say, God, would you give me eyes to see people the way you see them? Because I am telling you, if you will pray that, it will radically change the way you look at people. Because you won't see them as, as the, the guy that drives the car that you wish you had. Or you won't see, him, see them as the boss that's a jerk. Or the neighbor that can't keep his yard up. <laughs> You'll see them as a person that's going to spend eternity somewhere. Pray and ask God to give you eyes to see them the way, you, the way he sees them. Second, pray, God, give me ears to hear them the way you hear them. Because if you ever slow down and really listen to what people say... You'll, you'll hear past some of, the, some, of the mask, some of the masks that they put on. And when, when they complain to you about how their husband is always gone, and he's always doing this, and he just does whatever he wants, and he's doing this, and he's that. You know what they're really saying? I'm lonely, and I want somebody to care about me and want me to be the center of their attention. Pray for those ears. Third, pray for a heart to care about them the way you care about them. I know I had some scriptures with all these. Don't have time to go through all of them. But pray, God, give me a heart to care about them the way you care about them, God. 
I had just a ton of passages of Scripture here that just speak of the compassion that God has, the compassion that Jesus had while he went out among the people. But Tyler, just give me the last one, Matthew uh, chapter, I don't know, give give, give me the last passage, yeah, 11.20, thank you. Come to me, Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know what that is? That's, That's compassion. Because almost everybody is burdened, almost everybody is weary, almost everybody is heavy laden, and God desires to give them rest. Pray for a heart like God has for people. Fifth, pray or fourth, whatever it is, pray for a mind to think wisely about how to impact them. God, how can we reach them? One of the sayings that we have around here at Cross Culture, you know we have multiple sayings around here. One of our sayings is that Cross Culture Church will be a church that will think inside the book but outside the box. In other words, trying to always stay within the parameters of Scripture, we will throw off any man-made, uh, you know, isms or, or, or preconceived notions that we're going to think, how can I reach this guy, the, the motorcycle guy? How can I reach uh, this guy, the, the, the guy that's, that's down on his luck and living on the street? How can I reach this guy that, that makes 250 k a year and thinks he's got it all together when, when his family's falling apart and he's lost? How do we reach them to think wisely about that? Let me see that passage of Scripture, Tyler, real quickly. Uh, Matthew 10, 16. Jesus said, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Be wise about this in the way you approach people, in the way you engage them. Ask God for his mind. God, how would you want me to do this? Next, Father, give me a mouth to say what you would have me say to them. I don't have time to read it all, but if you went and looked uh, in John, uh, I think it's chapter 7, I can't remember for sure, the story of Jesus and the, and the woman at the well. is a fascinating encounter that Jesus has with this woman and how he begins to engage her in conversation, which in itself was quite unique that, that a Jewish man would never do with the Samaritan woman. But he engages her and he draws her through his conversation. He draws her to this place where he's able to confront her about her sin and bring her to a place where she says, this guy's the Messiah, and that's what we read later on. She goes into town and tells her, I'm telling you, the Messiah's here, y'all. John 4, thank you. Hands to do the work that you have for me to touch them, to impact their lives. God, would you give me the hands to do this work? Jesus said, no man having put his hands to the plow, if he lets go, if he turns back, he's not even worthy to be my disciple. Folks, we've we got to engage this thing, and we're going to talk some about that next week in, in a big way. But pray and ask God to give you the hands. That, that he would use you to touch them. And then uh, the last one at all, feet, to go wherever you would send me to reach them. I wonder how many of us would be willing to say that. God, where would you send me? I'll go, wherever it is. You ever read this passage of Scripture in Isaiah chapter 52? How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. How beautiful are those feet of those people that go and proclaim this good news. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Christ proclaimed. It has to start with prayer. Now, this is what I want to say. I went all the way through that with the seven challenge and those seven items that that I'm asking you to ask for yourself along while you're you're praying for all those other needs on there. We keep Sharpies down here, down front every day. I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you, and I don't know, listen, I, I... I don't know who signed the board. I mean, I see, I, I go pick this thing up every week. I go pick it up at the storage unit and I load it up and I bring it down here and we put it up here again every week. But I, I don't want anybody to sign it today. I don't want anybody to sign it because, oh, geez, geez, he even cried. I better sign it. I want you to go home and think about this because I want you to, I want you to a- answer this question. I meant to say this earlier, but I want you to answer this question. If Paul, if Paul seems to indicate, and Scripture seems to indicate, I know we've got to close, that, that prayer is connected. And I don't know why God would do this, but God has chosen to use our prayers as part of the power process for the spreading of the gospel. And if God has chosen to use our prayers, then you and I need to get real honest with ourselves and ask the question, is the proclamation of the gospel being hindered by my prayer life? So I don't, I don't want anybody, but I want you to go home and think about this. And this idea of being devoted to prayer. Don't leave your post. Stay there at it. Stay busy at it. Hey, and pray that a door's going to be open for the proclamation of the gospel. And if you would be willing to do that, from, from, from today on, this board is going to be out in the hallway somewhere. 
There's hopefully always going to be a Sharpie there. And there's going to be cards there that explains what it is. And you can come along. And if you want to pray, if you, if you want to sign that board and say, I'm going to commit to this. I don't, I don't know if I'll get it right every day or not, but I'm going to commit to try and do this. I've had people say to me, well, Pastor, I've never signed that because I'm afraid if I commit to it, I won't keep the commitment. It's the reason we ask you to sign it. Because it is in the signing that, that, you're, that you're making this intention, this commitment to say, I'm going to try to do this. And if out of seven days you only get five in, that's five more than you probably would have gotten in if you hadn't made the commitment. I'm just saying. So, I want you to go home. I want you to think about cross-culture and its future and its part in the, in the proclamation of the gospel. And maybe you're here and you say, I don't even know if I'm going to be a part of, want to be a part of cross-culture. Oh, you do. <laughs> but we want, we want we don't want to just hear about God doing stuff ladies and gentlemen we want to see God do stuff and we can be a part of it and it starts with prayer thanks pastor for that timely reminder of the importance of prayer to the fulfillment of the great commission as Paul reminds us we need to be faithful to pray Life can sometimes get in the way of our prayer time, but our faithfulness is vital for our effectiveness. It also has to be focused, kingdom-focused. Praying for health and material needs is fine, but like Paul, our passion should be for the lost world around us. We need laser-like focus in our prayer time, praying specifically for us as we take the message of Jesus out that God would work in the hearts of those who desperately need it. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sundays at 1030 at Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.